You are alive. In a cursed world, you're exposed. Exposed to heat, cold, gravity, disasters, evil, and thorns. In order to go forward, you have to battle the elements, including yourself. So you get hurt, and you bleed, and it hurts. Sometimes you retreat out of pain and your world shrinks to the size of the wound. And for a moment, your pain becomes your life. Why does it hurt so much? It hurts because it's wrong. Pain is information, we conclude. But God has designed a healing mechanism for wounds. Pain will cease, open wounds will close, and a scar will replace both the pain and the wound. It'll bleed, it'll hurt, but certainly it'll pass. Good morning, everybody. Come on now. Let me hear you. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you in the house today. Uh, Happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope you have a fun, safe, uh, planned weekend for all of us in church today that are at home and not at our lake houses or at the beach, right? I I know we have a lot of friends uh, like you do and family members that are away this weekend. My brother took his family Uh, down the beach this weekend. I said, I hope you have a good time this weekend at the beach, you jerk. No, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. But uh, we're glad you're here. Hope you have a good, safe time with your family this weekend. You know, Memorial Day really is kind of the unofficial, official kickoff of summer. And we have lots and lots and lots of stuff going on this summer uh, that we're going to, I'm going to tell you a bunch of things right now. And you'll remember about 2% of it But the thing I want you to remember most is what I'm going to tell you at the end, okay? So we have uh, three different things we're doing this summer. Two are camps and one is a kids' activity. Uh, We have our Vita Hispanic camp for our Spanish students. We have our Engage camp for all of our students in our student ministry. And then we have our Kids Summer Bash, which is uh, in the beginning of uh, August, uh, August 7th through 9th. And then uh, for all of these announcements and fundraisers, and you'll hear about that at the end of the service, I want to encourage you to go to our church website, www.warehousechurch.com, and it'll send you a different, couple different places if you, if you kind of scroll down through it a little bit. I would strongly encourage you to go to our social media pages, uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a lot of people following us on Instagram. Then we also have our regular church Facebook page. We have a prayer page. It's private. If I could say that, all my P's in the lineup a little bit better. A private prayer page okay, uh, that you can go to and share your uh, prayer requests with one another and for things that you'd like other people to be praying about. And then we have a new uh, Facebook page it's, that's a community page called Warehouse Community. And every announcement that you'll hear every single Sunday will be posted Sunday right after church on that community page. So you can go on our church Facebook and, and like that. You can go on the website and find that. For those of you that are social media uh, savvy, you're picking up on this. For the rest of you, you're going, can you please just get on with the message? So open up to Job chapter one with me, okay? Job chapter one. We're in a series uh, called Beautiful Scars. I'm really 
thank you for the great response that we had last week and encouragement to my son-in-law, Johnny. I'm actually doing a youth camp uh, on the East Coast. I'm speaking at a youth camp in um, July, and I've asked Johnny to come with me, and he's actually going to share with about 600 teenagers what he shared in church last week. And I know God's going to use him really to be an encouragement to them, but uh, proud of him and God's work, God's continued work in his life, because we're not done yet, are we, Johnny? None of us are. Uh, I want to read uh, this story for you out of Job chapter 1. If you know anything about the book of Job, you kind of know where I'm going to start off this morning. But I, I've called my uh, message I want to share with you this morning this, the deep wound of unexpected grief. The deep wound of unexpected grief. Um, I know many of you remember where you were, where you were in life, where you were geographically when the uh, tragedies took place, attack on the United States, September 11th, uh, 2001. Kim and I were missionaries in the Philippines. We were living in the Philippines. My mom called me up about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. We're 12 hours um, ahead of the, the calendar or the, the, the clock there. And she said, oh my God, turn on the TV. World War III just started. Uh, so I turned on our television. We had CNN and we had British broadcasting that we watched over there also. And we turned the TV on after the first airplane struck the Twin t Towers, and we, ate, and we saw live the second one. And of course, as everything uh, manifested that day, and you all can remember it very, very well, uh, I was glued to the television all night long. We're calling all of our American friends. We had a flood. When you live in a foreign country as an American citizen, you get a lot of communication from the United States Embassy. We did from the United States Embassy in Manila. Stay in your houses, lock your door. If you have a guard, have them stand at your gate. Uh, it's a very turbulent time. There was a lot of um, activity in the Philippines where a lot of the terrorists went to the Philippines in different regions to train there. Uh, so it was a very hostile environment uh, for all of us. There was a lot of uneasiness. One of the things I really remember uh, that made a huge impact on my life, I stayed up all night uh, watching all these things transpire. Again, I told you I started watching at 9 p.m., while it was 9 a.m. here. And I remember the next day, uh, early in the morning, watching one of the news shows, and one of the mothers or, or wives, I can't remember if she was a mom or a wife, of a husband that hadn't been found or a son that hadn't been found, but she knew, like he called her from the Twin Towers, I can't get out of here, what am I gonna do? Of course, the Twin Towers uh, both fell at different times. So she knew he was dead but had no idea, you know, if they were even going to be able to find his remains. And they were still speculating. Was it a terrorist attack? There really wasn't, we really weren't sure of, of all of the information hadn't all come in yet. And she said this uh, when, uh, when she was being interviewed. Very, very sweet lady. She said, uh, she was asked, uh, how, how do you deal with this? How do you cope? You know, of course, it's all brand new. You're still trying to, 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 to process everything. So real. And she said this, she said, I don't know how this happened, but I know God's in control. And whoever did this to my son, to all the families that are impacted that, I pray that God will get to their family's hearts and that forgiveness, because I want you to know that I forgive them too. And I heard that and it kind of hit me like a stun gun because I don't know if I could forgive somebody 24, 30 hours after something like that happened to me. Uh, that's something that all of us are kind of connected to in our country that are, I guess, over 17 or 18 years old. It's hard to believe that most of these guys weren't even alive when that happened. 
But all of, any adult that's over 35, 40 years old, you remember these things very, very well. And, and it really caused a deep wound. Now, it caused a lot of patriotism. It was actually cool to be patriotic in those first five or six years. You would never see anybody kneel for a flag. You would never see anybody protest anything that had to do with anything patriotic. It was probably the highest level of patriotism you'd seen in our country, at least in my lifetime that I can remember. But it certainly was a time of deep, deep grief for so many people that knew uh, those families and just felt the pain of our country at that time. And when you have, uh, there's folks, Johnny shared a little bit of of his grief that he experienced when his his mom passed when he was a young young man. Uh, Maybe you've experienced unexpected death in your family. Maybe you've experienced personal tragedy uh, of some kind in your life. And all of us go through different times in our lives where we carry unexpected grief. This happened to a man named Job. And the interesting part of what happened to Job was what preceded all of the tragedy that took place in his life. And you, as I read through this early on in this passage, I want you to kind of take note of Job's character that's spoken of in this passage of Scripture, uh, Job's uh, relationship with God and his reputation. God's Word says this in Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all people of the East. When you read it through the Bible, of course, you understand it's a few thousand years ago when it took place, uh, when these things were written. And And it talks about how much sheep and oxen and camels, and you go, okay, they were farmers. No, really, this is... Uh, what his bank account was. Uh, this speaks into he was a very rich man. You didn't have uh, a, a, an ATM card or a relationship with a bank. All your possessions uh, were usually livestock or gold, and he had this much livestock. And uh, what, what the Bible is teaching us here is that Job was a very, very rich man, but he was also a man of high moral character, integrity, loved his kids, was blameless before God, shunned evil, stayed away from bad stuff, stayed to good stuff. So he had a really good reputation, not only in his community, but with the Lord. Uh, The Bible says his sons used to hold feasts, verse number four, in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, This was Job's regular custom. So Job was so caring about not only his walk with the Lord, but his children's walk with the Lord, that after they would have a feast of some kind uh, or or a party, just to be really uh, frank, Job would go out the next morning when they kind of had their early morning, you know, I'm feeling a little tired after last night time, and he would would, uh, have a sacrifice. He would kill an animal burn it, and pray to God that God would forgive his kids for whatever they did the night before. Okay, that's that's how serious he was about his relationship with God. One day, verse number six, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. You say, how did Satan come? Why did Satan come to the Lord? Well, we read in the New Testament, too, that Satan goes before God as our accuser, and he will go to God and say, hey, listen, look what Ed did. Look what Mary Ann did. 
Look what Kim did. Look what Kevin did. And he'll speak into God's ear about the things that he sees in us to accuse us. But Jesus Christ, our high priest, our intercessor, will will stand and, and, and speak for us on our behalf, the Bible teaches us. So Satan uh, goes before the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, I've been roaming the earth, and which is, which is uh, really prophetic because in 1 Peter it teaches us that Satan walks around the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he was roaring the earth, roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless, he's upright, and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands uh, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord... And then one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with all of them, stole all of his stuff. He was no longer rich anymore. They put the servants on the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So he killed his servants and all of his livestock. While he was still speaking, another messenger came to Job and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants. I am the only one escaping to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came to him and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels, made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, like bad news and bad news and bad news keeps coming at him, a fourth servant came up to him and said, another messenger, excuse me, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from a desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are all dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head and then fell on the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And listen to this verse, a great verse to underline. In all of this, the four bad news things, all of his riches are gone, all of his children swept away in one moment. Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. Uh, let me share with you a couple facts about dealing with bigger than life pain. Um, the first thing is this. Satan's aim or Satan's goal in all of our lives is to destroy us and to destroy our joy in the Lord. Uh, you know, when, when, when God talks through his word that Satan is our enemy, um, we see different things where enemies will come and have a treaty together. Uh, many times around Memorial Day, I think in this next, in, during the summer, if I'm not mistaken, is either the 70 or the 75th anniversary of the Normandy Beach invasion. Uh, there's another big anniversary coming uh, from uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki when, when Americans bombed those two cities. Uh, we've, we've had different dates that we've celebrated. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Three other people old like me. A date which will live in infamy. Of course, remembering Pearl Harbor. And then years and years later, you see 
the uh, leaders of those two countries will come together, shake hands, put a memorial up. And man, if you could just imagine that years and years ago when this war was happening, that something like that would take place. It really doesn't even make sense. Uh, Satan's not an enemy that at some time will we'll create a treaty with. He is the enemy from us, from the day that God created man to the day that he gets thrown into the lake of fire. He hates us. He hates our families. He hates our church. He tries to make things look really, really good to do this, to distract our attention from God. He used this tactic going all the way back to the book of Genesis when he said to Adam and Eve, hey, did God really say that you can't eat fruit from that tree? Did God really say that? Because the, the way that I understood that was that God was telling you that because God doesn't want you to be as powerful as he is. And he made us from the very, very onset of the first time he was exposed to humanity, doubt God's word. And that's why the God, God's word is so significant. We believe uh, very, very firmly. We teach it strongly. We teach it unapologetically the truths of the word of God. God's word is inspired, it's preserved, and it is holy, fully truth. And that's what we teach and we believe at Warehouse Church. And we believe that the Bible teaches us that Satan is our enemy and he hates us. He hates God. He hates everything about God. He hates you and me as children of God, as creation of God. He hates all of us and he's going to do everything he can to get as many people. To, and listen, he's not trying to draw people towards him to love them. God's trying to draw us towards him because he loves us. Satan's trying to draw people away from God to him because misery loves company. He said, I'm not going down by myself. I'm going to get you at your very, very core, God. I'm going to get what you love the most. I'm going to attack your creation in mankind. And that's what he's done all the way from 6,000 years ago when man was created until today. So when you understand that Satan's job or Satan's aim or his goal is to destroy us and also to destroy our joy in the Lord, now we need to remember some things about that when it comes to sin. It's a very good character trait to magnify the consequences. Um, God told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat this fruit, you're going to die. Now, God didn't say, because Eve said this to, to, to the serpent, that the, we can't even touch it. And I like that Eve felt that way, that she was that afraid about it, was communicating that. Some people think she was being dishonest. I think she was just being really, really careful. The day that you touch it, you're going to die. And Satan says, no, you're not going to die. That's not what's going to happen to you. And, and, and she didn't that day understand what it meant to die spiritually, didn't know what it meant to die physically, because they were the only people that I've ever lived. They never suffered at a funeral. They never lost a child yet. They never understood hurt, pain, or consequences. You and I have the ability to understand consequences. We know that there are consequences to our sin. We know that when we do something wrong, there's going to be some consequences. Uh, there's consequences in our flesh. There's consequences in relationships. There's consequences of our sin eternally. There's consequences because of our sin with our relationship with God. There are consequences to the sin that we commit that's unconfessed before the Lord, okay? And when we understand that those consequences are real, man, that's a great character quality to kind of carry in your life. Even for simple things like speeding, you know, I mean, all of us speed sometimes. Maybe you never, ever, ever speed. You are a ninja driver, and I totally respect you. But we all get in a hurry sometimes. Uh, I come up 15th Street. When I first moved to, to, um, to this area, Plano, Texas, uh, a little over four years ago, I was here about two weeks before I got my official welcome from the Plano de Police Department. And I didn't know what, and, and you have to understand, I'm not making excuses. I was wrong. 
But uh, in, when we're from in the East Coast, school didn't start until the first Wednesday after Labor Day. This August school starting business is ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous, and all God's students said amen, right? School in August is dumb. So it was like the second or third week in August. I'm, I'm doing the speed limit coming up 15th Street, but the speed limit isn't the speed limit in a school zone that says 20 miles an hour. And the signs aren't blinking, right? It says about this big on that sign from 8.15 to 8, you know, 9.15 a.m., and you need really, really good glasses, and you need to know the calendar. And I was mad. I was frustrated. And, I was, and, and the police officer pulled me over. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just doing his job. I was going too fast in a school zone. I should have been pulled over. And there were consequences, $275 worth of consequences. But guess what I haven't done since four years ago? Sped in a school zone because I've learned to magnify those consequences. Your insurance is going to get hit. You've got to pay $275 in seven days whether you like it or not. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So what does it teach you to do? Drive slow. Drive safe. So when you see Officer Randy in the hallway today, thank him for being a great officer protecting our church in the Plano Police Department and all God's people said, right? There are consequences. We don't like the consequences of the stuff we do wrong. You know, we justify, man, we are so, so good. Human beings are irrational justifiers, right? We irrationally justify what we consume, right? We irrationally justify what we watch, what we see, the, the little bit of sin, whatever it is your area that you struggle with, we justify and justify and justify. And, and, and always and there's this little thing inside of us, and it's called Satan's lying whisper that says, it's not that big of a deal. God's got terrorism and, and world hunger. Why would he care that you're looking at something you shouldn't look at? God's got to deal with all these huge, huge things across the world. Does it really matter if you don't tell the truth? We need to learn to magnify our consequences because Satan is using those little lies to destroy us. But here's the thing, when bigger than life grief happens in our life, when you see that Satan's aim is to destroy us and our joy in the Lord, Satan is always aware of the end game. He has come to seek, to kill, and to destroy he wants to do that to you personally. And if you think about all the things that God set forth in his word that are very near and dear to him, mankind, the family, the church, those are three things that we see daily being attacked in our culture and our society today. Family values don't, aren't the same as they were maybe 40, 50 years ago or even 6,000 years ago when God created the heavens and the earth, Right? We, we, we see that Satan is very, very aware. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he knew they were going to die spiritually that day. He made that sin look really, really good, really, really appealing. He knew exactly what he was trying to do that day because he knew the end game. Satan thought that if God would let him hurt or attack Job, that Job was going to curse God and he was going to turn his back on God. And we read in that verse earlier where it says, in everything that happened to Job, Job did not sin by blaming God for all the stuff that happened to him. Here's the second thing about bigger than life pain. God's goal or aim in our lives is to magnify his worth in our lives. To magnify his worth in our lives. Uh, I've read it, 
I, I can't validate it with, with, with uh, and you've heard this also, I'm sure, um, with a source this morning. But I've read and I've heard that the Sunday after the tragedy took place on 9-11-2001 was the highest percentage attended church day in the history of the United States of America. You've probably heard things like that. Everybody went to church the week after. Whatever denomination it was, whatever it was, people went to church. Why? They were looking for comfort. They were looking for answers. They were looking for peace. Uh, they, were, they were searching for significance, right? Uh, if you've ever been to a funeral, you do what I do at every funeral. I consider my own mortality. Even if I'm just doing a funeral for somebody that's 95 or 100 years old, you know, when you're 52 years old, 95 or 100 years old isn't that far away as it used to be, you know? And, and the older you get, the more aware we become of our mortality. And when you go to a funeral, it just kind of, boom, hits you right in the face. Like, man, this is going to be me someday. I got to make my days count. But God's aim in our lives is to magnify his worth. And, and, and sometimes we see that. Sometimes we understand, man, God's doing something in my life. But I want to tell you, it's a lot easier to recognize God's work in your life looking in the rearview mirror than dealing with it in present consequences. Because life hurts. Life is hard. If you've been betrayed or hurt or lied to, or something awful like this that's happened in Job's life has happened to you, and you're in the middle of it right now, falling down on your face and worshiping God is really not the first thing that many of us feel like doing when we're going through those things, because it's hard. But in all of this, God was trying to magnify, now think about this, God was trying to magnify his worth to Job personally, with Job's personal relationship with him. If you read the end of the book of Job, Job goes through all kind of stuff. His wife says, curse God and die. His buddies say, curse God and die. Job would then get boils all over his body. He would break a clay pot to pop open the boils that were all over his body. He was in agony uh, physically. He was in agony emotionally. And he was in agony spiritually because guess what? He didn't hear from God for a little while. And that was hard for him. And he's reflecting and saying, Man, what did I do? I'm making sacrifices for my kids. They must have done something bad. Maybe I didn't do enough sacrifices. What have I done in my life that God would take everything that I own and take all my kids? And his wife said that to him, and his buddy said that to him. And at the end of the book of Job, you're like, okay, redemption. What a great story. God gave Job even more. Gave Job more possessions, gave him kids again, gave him family again, restored him, and all those different things. But Job still lived with. He didn't go back and erase his memory. Job remembered what it was like to bury 10 children. He carried that with him his whole life. But God's goal in Job's life, when it was hard as hard can be, and when God gave him blessing at the end of his life, wasn't to lift up Job. It was to lift up himself and be glorify himself. You say, why would God do that? You see, Jesus even said this. There's a story back in the Old Testament where where people got bit by snakes for being bad. If, uh, Moses lifted up this serpent. Aaron lifted up this serpent. All they had to do is look at this serpent. If they looked at the serpent, they would be healed. And then in the book of John, it says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent, and people would look up at that serpent, and, and they would be healed from that, from, that, from that snake bite. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to be lifted up. And if we look at him, if we look to him, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we will be healed, what? Spiritually, our sins will be forgiven. And why did God do that? To magnify 
his value in our lives? Why would he allow his son to die to show us the, the, the level and the depth of his love toward us? Here's the third thing. And there's just some things in the Bible that it's okay that we don't understand. It really is. Uh, God did give Satan limited power. You say, why would he do that? I don't know. I'm okay that I don't know that. I wish I was like some mega, mega theologian that could go back and, well, let me give you these 17 uh, books that I can, you can read, you know, chapter and verse, and maybe they'll help you to understand it more. There's just some things, and the Bible says this, his ways are higher than our ways, and, and understanding him sometimes is beyond us, and, and I don't know about you, but I've got a bunch of questions when I get to heaven. Does anybody have any questions for God when they get to heaven? Honestly, I've got a couple questions for him. God, why four daughters? Why a girl's dormitory, right? God, why? Then I'm just joking because I feel like I'm one of the most blessed men in the world. I love my kids. They're amazing, amazing, godly girls. We have great son-in-laws, the best grandkids in the world, and it's all because of the, the incredible wife that God's blessed me with. But, but, to, but to be honest with you, I have some hard why questions too. God, why did this happen? God, why are we going through this this trial, you know, why are we going through this trial? We're trying to do what's right. Why is it hard? And sometimes when things are hard, it just doesn't make sense. God does give Satan some limited power. But I want you to understand something this morning. But not all suffering comes from Satan. I've heard people say this before. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I don't say this uh, to, to disrespect or talk down about you, but every trial and every difficulty that you endure in your life, does, just because Satan did what he did to Job, doesn't mean that, that Satan's doing something awful in your life. Uh, the book of James tells us that the trying of our faith works patience, right? So we're going to be tested and we're going to be tempted, the book of James tells us. Now, the good part of being tested and tempted is this. That is an evidence of your relationship with God. It's an evidence of your relationship with God. But to be very blunt with you, sometimes it's hard to see the difference between tests and tempts, if I could say it that way. You know, sometimes we're tempted to sin, right? Sometimes we're tempted to do things that we shouldn't do. And for most of us, it's usually something familiar. It's not like this brand new sin that you've never been exposed to. It goes totally against anything you've ever understood. No, it's usually something familiar that we struggle with. But we're also tried, where God allows us to go through trials, right? But, but understand something. Even though God does give limited power, that doesn't mean that Satan is, is part of that trial that you're going through. I heard somebody say to me before, yeah, I, man, I just, I've got a little bit of a cold this week. I was talking about this yesterday with my buddy Rick uh, and his wife who's in the hospital, uh, Holly, and we're praying for Holly right now. Uh, somebody said to me a couple weeks ago, yeah, I've just, you know, I've got a little bit of a chest cold and Satan's just coming after me right now, you know? Or, uh, yeah, my kids are just going through this difficult time and we're not really, or my, my wife and myself, we're just, you know, the Bible does teach us about enemies that we have. And to be honest with you, church, Satan is not our only enemy. Satan is our number one enemy, but so is the world system is also our enemy. You know who the most creepest enemy that you have that we undervalue all the time? Ourselves. Your flesh is a formidable enemy in your life. And sometimes we'll blame Satan. Yes, yeah, Satan tries to influence our flesh, so our flesh wants us to do wrong. But you know what? Sometimes we do wrong just because we were born with a sinful nature. And we choose to do wrong. Or you do have a cold sometimes. Or you do have 
a sickness sometimes, or you do go through a trial sometimes in your life, that doesn't mean it came from Satan. Here's number four. God's work is greater than Satan's efforts because here's the truth. God knows the end game too. God knows the end game too. So let me, let me give you real quickly uh, three things we can learn uh, to find our beautiful scar after we go through tragedies in our life. And Job speaks of this all throughout his book. It's a long book. It's about 42 chapters. It's a, there's some poetry in there. There's some stuff about male purity in there, which is really, really good. But there's also this common thread throughout the whole book, and that's the first thing I'll share with you. Uh, something we can learn from, to find our beautiful scar after a tragedy is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Let me tell you what that means kind of in layman's terms. God is always in control. He's always in control. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven, and he does what pleases him. Now, he wants us to take our cares before him because he cares for us. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to be one with him. He wants us to be aware of him. He wants us to acknowledge him and to please him. But when it comes down to it, God is going to do his will. And you know what? He's allowed to. He's allowed to because this is his world. We are his creation. This is his church. Your wife, your husband, your kids, they don't belong to you. They belong to him. This church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Your stuff doesn't belong to you. Everything belongs to God, and he allows us to be a manager of those things. I'm not talking about money today, but I want you to understand something, that God can do whatever he wants to do because everything that is, everything that ever was, everything that ever will be, belongs to him. He's sovereign. Daniel recognized this in chapter four of, uh, Daniel chapter four, verse number five, when uh, he started to understand God's sovereignty, he said this, I had a dream that made me afraid. He said, as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And you go read through that chapter. He had a vision of God and who he was and, and really how strong. We all might have this, this, this kind of uh, understanding of what we think God looks like, right? Or, or what we think Jesus looked like. And, and, you know, when you, when you talk about the presence of God on the earth, there was something very distinguishing that would happen when God's presence was here on this earth. And one of the things you can read about is, is that God never allowed a sinful person to look straight at him because of who he was. He said to Moses, you can't look on me because you, you won't even live. You'll die. But I'll let you see my glory. You put your head in the, in the rock a little bit, and I'll tell you when to come up. And when, my, when I'm on the other side of that rock, but my glory's kind of following behind me, then you can look up. And Moses beheld God's glory. He didn't see God face to face, but he saw his glory. God is sovereign. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's not our buddy. You know, I think one of the things that... Our culture and society today is, is really getting worse at, really, really bad, is this idea of honor. You know, uh, you know you're old when you say, do you remember when, right? Do you remember when? I said, I said something in church, I don't know, I think it was last year, I said something about when we were kids, we weren't allowed to open the refrigerator, we had to ask our mom. Did anybody grow up in a house like that? You never opened a refrigerator. You waited till mama said you can open the refrigerator, Right? But you never called an adult by their first name when you were a kid. Remember those days? Like to call an adult by their first name? I saw a little three-year-old in a store the other day, 
and they were calling their mother by the first name. I thought that was interesting. You know, maybe they're just joking around. And, and somebody said to her, do you let your kid call you by your first name? She goes, yeah, it's just easier that way. That way when she gets older, she doesn't have to deal, you ready for this, with the trauma of my name being changed when she gets older. I'm 52, my mom's 72, I still call my mom, mom. You know what I'm saying? There, there's, there, there's something in our culture, in our society, and, and it's, a lot of it's because of our politics, a lot of it's because of Satan's influence on our world today. We just don't understand honor or mutual honor and how to be kind to one another and how to honor uh, people that are older than us and how to honor. That's why we want to celebrate at the end of the service day. We're going to do a little celebration of Memorial Day weekend because we want our kids to see that our church honors the sacrifice that was made by men and women throughout the history of the United States so that we could worship here freely today. We honor their sacrifice. We honor their sacrifice. And the Bible speaks so much about honor, but sometimes we can be so dishonorable to God by our words, by our actions, by our attitudes. Uh, but, but I want to share this with you as we think about this. Uh, the second thing when it comes to making, our, uh, making our, uh, our wounds into a beautiful scar, and this is, just, this is just being super duper real and transparent. Number two, it's okay to be honest with God about your emotions. It's okay. If you look at what Job did, Job shaved his head, put on the clothes that a mourner would wear. We're identified by the clothes where I got a shirt that says USA on there today. Uh, I like it because it matches my sneakers and it's Memorial Day weekend. And it's kind of a joke in our family. When we used to live in Allen, there was a street near us called uh, USA Circle or something or Boulevard. And uh, we were driving down the street one day and Katie goes, huh, USA Boulevard? That's a true story. And it's not USA Boulevard. It was USA Boulevard. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to help her with that. But you know, we're celebrating Memorial Day this weekend, and we, we honor those that, that, that gave what they gave so we could do this today. But there are times when I pray, as I'm sure there are times when you're, pray, when you're praying, where words almost can't describe how you're feeling. Job shaved his head, put on the identification publicly that he was in mourning, the kind of clothes that he wore. And he sat down and he said, I was born naked. I'm going to die naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that the testimony of Job and everything that Job did and everything that Job said, he didn't say by what? Charging God with his wrongdoing. He wasn't disrespectful to God, but you know what? God knew how he felt. It's okay to tell God that whatever you're going through hurts. It's okay to tell God that you don't understand. You know what? God knows we don't understand everything. You know why? Because we're not God. And in all of this, can, can, you, can you understand just a little bit that maybe God allows us to go through these things sometimes for, for some reasons? Maybe one of the reasons is to draw us close to him. Have you ever prayed and said, God, can you teach me to have more faith? Have you ever prayed and asked God to teach you to pray better or to be, have a better prayer life? How would he draw us to have more faith? How would he draw us to pray more by allowing us to go through circumstances that would cause us to have more faith, that would cause us to pray more? 
right? So if you consider that this morning, that it's okay to be honest with God in your emotions. Job 120, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then he fell on the ground and he worshiped. Here's the last thing I'll share with you today. Trust in God's goodness and make him the source of your treasure and your joy. Psalm 63.3 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Um, all of us at, at some time or another either will or have dealt with loss. Um, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, it, 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 we, we can kind of read it from this, this idea of it's, it's a good lesson or it's poetry or prose or uh, there's, there's just a good moral kind of a thing that, that we can pull out of these stories, right, from the Old Testament. But I believe the Bible, and I believe the Bible teaches us this, and faith makes me believe this too, that the Bible is a very literal book. And the story of creation isn't just something that's a fable. That really happened. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the heavens and earth in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, God uh, had, had two kids that he, that he created, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And wherefore, because of one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passes upon all men, for all have sinned. Uh, this story about Job isn't some fable that, that, that the people conjured up to teach us a moral lesson. This man and his wife had 10 kids die in one day. I don't, and I pray I never have to understand that kind of grief. Some of you understand that a little bit or maybe even to that magnitude. Um, when you've gone through or will go through times like that, to think about worshiping, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we can trust in God's goodness when we make him, him the source of our treasure and joy. Um, last week, Kim and I celebrate our 34th wedding anniversary, and I'm very, very blessed with a very, very just amazing wife. She's my buddy. She's my best friend. And we just, we enjoy our life together. I've had to learn that my joy in my life doesn't come from Kim. That's hard, you know, because I want, selfishly, I want more. I want her to do more for me. I want, I want, I want this. I want that because all of us are very, very selfish individuals at some level or another, aren't we? And, and, and there are times where I would want her to be the source of my joy. And frankly, I've done this more to her than she's done to me, but we've disappointed each other. And if we are the only source of each other's joy in our lives, we're gonna be very disappointed people. I love my kids, I've got great kids. My four girls are amazing, creative, beautiful, kind. They're, they're, they've got a little bit of spunk to them, a little bit of Philly attitude, I love that about them. They're real, they're normal. My kids are very, very normal, non-perfect kids, okay? But my kids have let me down a little bit. And I don't want them to feel bad. Don't come up to me after church and say, Dad, I'm really, really sorry. I'm not saying it for that reason. But if my whole joy in my life is only wrapped up in my kids' lives to the point where I vicariously have to live through their accomplishments for my life satisfaction, your joy tank is gonna be very empty, your job, your stuff that you do, your house, your cars, all of these possessions that Job had in his life 
was gone. But you know what Satan couldn't take away from him? The true source of his joy, and that was his relationship with our Heavenly Father. I don't ever want to be tested like that. I don't want to be tried like that. I hope Satan doesn't use me as a moving target like that. But I pray that I can live a life, and I pray that you can live a life that when you do go through these bigger-than-life tragedies, because we all do, you won't lean into, well, how can I be happy without kids? How can I be happy without my house? How can I be happy without my stuff? How can I be happy when my marriage isn't going the way that I want it to all the time? Don't make others the source of your joy. Make God the source of your joy. And you know what you'll find? I, this is something that was, it was, it was, it was like an enlightening moment I had a few years ago. When I love God more than I love my wife and kids, I actually love my wife and kids more than I did before. That doesn't even make sense, does it? But when you put God at his proper place in your life, you'll learn to love your wife and your children and your grandkids and have perspective of your stuff differently than you did before. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me in prayer as, as, as Clint begins to play. And I just appreciate him and his sweet wife and the work that they do with our worship ministry and their commitment to the Lord and our church. For those of you that serve and help and help with life groups and help with our kids and give faithfully and whatever it is that God has, has led you to do, we thank you for that. And I, I just want to pray for you this morning that you would learn how to make God the true source of your joy um, if you're going through something bigger than life that's really hard right now uh, we'll, we'll pray with you we'll pray for you we'll walk, we'll walk alongside of that, that with you but, but, but we may never understand the depth of, of, of pain that you're going through but I do know this that God's love for you is greater than that pain that's in your heart this morning you say that's you don't know what I'm I don't know what you're going through and I don't devalue what it is that you're going through. I just hope that you'll put a high, high value on your relationship with God. And maybe this morning that, maybe a verse that can be an encouragement to you that you can apply to your life this morning would be this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you seek God and his righteousness, yet there's no insurance policy that says, pain and tragedy will never happen in your life. But I, I guarantee you something this morning, and I know many people who I look at as we're praying this morning, who I've talked to personally, prayed with, watched, stood with during tragic times in their life, they can speak even during tragedy of God's goodness. That's what God wants you to see, his goodness through this. It's gonna leave a scar sometimes, a scar that you may carry the rest of your life. I've got scars, I shared them with you. They're very, very real. But I know the author and the finisher of my faith. I know who's sovereign, we know who's in control. We know who's greater than the, net, the evil influence in the world, and that's God. And he loves us and he wants to forgive us and he wants you to make him number one in your life. Father, teach us this this morning. Help us to understand that we need to seek you, your kingdom, your righteousness. And at that point, 
That's when all of these things will be added unto us. So give us your grace. Lord, for a man or woman in this room that may be hurting because of relational stuff, God, give them your peace this morning. For a man or a woman in this room this morning that may be in pain because of self-inflicted injuries where they've messed up, I pray that they would seek your forgiveness and that you would restore them and put them back on that road to recovery from that area where they struggle. I pray for marriages that are broken or even severed or eating or even just in pain this morning, Lord, that you would heal those marriages. I, I, I pray for uh, parents that, that may be carrying wounds of, uh, of their kids that have, boy, I can really relate to that part of the story where Job got up and made sacrifices because he knew his kids weren't maybe doing the right thing the night before. That's a pain that most parents are very familiar with, Lord. And I pray that brokenhearted parent will have peace this morning and rest and find peace in you. All of us hurt, but we have a God who cares. Help us to rest in you this morning. Uh, Just before we close out, uh, if you would just say, hey, Ed, going through some of the stuff you're talking to about today, don't want to be specific, but I have some hurt in my life that I need healing from. Would you pray for me? If you're like that today, just lift up your hand real quick. Just put your hand up real quick. God bless you. Father, heal broken hearts and set captives free. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We had some-